Join me for a candid conversation with Virginia Beach City Schools Superintendent, Dr. Aaron Spence. We talk about change, seeking growth, and the realities of being a superintendent. Well, Aaron, it's nice to spend some time with you today. Uh, look, there are a lot of conversations around the superintendency position uh, in the U.S. and the ever-changing uh, nature of the role. Uh, take me back 15, 20 years. Could you have ever imagined that you would be sitting in the office that you occupy today? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> and, and candidly, I don't know that many superintendents who, who knew or thought they were going to start their career and in their career as a superintendent. I think... Uh, you know, a lot of times we get into the work, we have a real calling and a love for children and a heart for children. And, uh, you know, circumstances along the way convince us that we need to take a broader leadership role. But no, um, things have changed rather dramatically. I think the superintendency today uh, really calls for a pretty wide range of amazing skills. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm pleased to be able to do the work, but cannot say I thought I was going to be doing the work. <laughs> <laughs> now, your email signature, I'm always fascinated with email signatures. You have a number of phrases that I would imagine are either your personal mottos or those of the district. And one of those was, be open to change. Tell me about that approach and how you make that, uh, I guess, live on in more than just words, but in actions within the district. Yeah, you know, actually, those are the district's core values. Uh, and so being open to change is a core value that we share, that our board shares. And I think the idea is, listen, um, our job is to get kids ready for their future. And that future is a, is a moving target. And one of the things that I think we have to be really good at in education is looking around corners and identifying what are those new opportunities that our students are going to need in order to be successful. Uh, and that if we continue to try to prepare students for life, uh, really in the what's coming up is sort of the, the the next um, decade of this 21st century by trying to teach them in a 20th century box, uh, we're never really going to be successful at that work. So we're always thinking about what's next for us. How do we transform the learning experience for children? And how do we identify new skills they might need uh, that we haven't yet thought about? Yeah, I like when you talk about sort of peeking or looking around the corner. One area or one corner that I'm finding more and more districts are being proactive about is in alternative resource uh, methods and, and, and ways to bring in resources that encompass the private sector, whether it's funding or it's uh, human capital, uh, sort of uh, you know, connecting education to the, the working world in that regard. But I'm keenly interested in, in the funding side of that because, look, globally, people look at the U.S. and say we shouldn't have problems because our per-pupil expenses are uh, astronomically higher than other countries around the world, and yet we still continue to struggle. But I know that superintendents are sitting there looking also with their business officers and saying, we, we are struggling. We don't have um, the configuration to meet all the needs that we would like to in the growth of the children of our district. How do you look at incorporating the private sector within your community in Virginia Beach in that fashion? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, first of all, let's just, let's just clear up the funding questions. Uh, you know, 85% of the dollars that we spend are on people. And so one of the reasons we spend what we spend is because of our efforts to retain high quality teachers. And I don't think there are too many people in the world who would argue that our teachers are, are not paid at the high professional level we probably should pay them at. So I think there is a shortage of funding that continues to be an issue that plagues us all. That said, I do think you're right. I think it's really important that we continue to be innovative and think about how we 
uh, bring private uh, partners and other public partners, frankly, into the conversation in our classrooms and really bring our classroom conversations into their world and their work. And you really hit on the most important thing, which is that our students have the opportunity to really experience uh, what it is that they're going to be doing when they leave here before they leave here in sort of these safe learning environments. Um, and I think that's where the real power and potential of those partnerships exists. I'll give you a great example. We have a wonderful uh, partner in a local manufacturer here, Steel. You guys probably know Steel. They're the uh, organization that makes chainsaws. Uh, and they, they're, their manufacturing facility for America is here in, in Virginia Beach. And um, one of the things that they came to us and talked about really being interested in was needing to develop skills uh, around robotics. They're a very automated factory. Um, and what they need are people who can both work beside the robots that they have, but also program the robots to be effective in their factories. Um, and so they have an apprenticeship program where they train people to do that. And so what we did was we worked with them to develop a set of college level coursework that our kids could pursue through our local community college, um, along with some preparatory career and technical education classes in our schools. And if they complete those uh, sequence of courses, they're uh, taking a few of those kids at the high level into the apprenticeship program. And so before they graduate from us, they've already had a year of apprenticeship with steel. So it's a partnership we could never afford to pay for the kind of apprenticeship learning that they have. Um, but at the same time, they're getting really skilled uh, uh, students coming out of our schools that are ready and uh, willing and really um, uh, capable of going right down onto the floor and doing the work that they've asked us to, to help prepare them to do. You know, one of the things I think for us that's a North Star um, relative to this too is the idea of literacy instruction. And so, you know, we think we can always do more in terms of preparing students to be better readers, writers, and thinkers. And uh, we have engaged our city in some incredible partnerships around literacy instruction. Um, and as we're looking at early childhood education, how do we continue to grow access to that? And so that's where we've really focused a lot of our time and energy on building partnerships. Um, and as I said, some of those are civic partnerships. So, you know, that idea of leveraging the resources your city does have. So working really closely with our library, working really closely with our GrowSmart program, um, reaching out to the, the public um, charity sector. So we have a great relationship with United Way under the umbrella of United for Children. Um, and just multiple examples of partnerships like that with some of the local museums that um, help us teach children to read and um, really in ways that we could not do without. Yeah, that, that integration is key. You know, Aaron, one of the things also that I think is we're getting better at, I don't think we're there yet, is in understanding how to really document student ownership of learning and communicating that, whether that is in experiences inside the school or outside of the school, but in partnership uh, with the community, is, is really understanding what that looks like. I think we all went sort of that through a period of sort of fear-based communication where we didn't know it was, you know, numbers and standards and percentages and where do we fit or don't we fit. Um, and I think on both sides of the aisle, uh, to use a, sort of a current phrase right now in our country, there was concern about what we were communicating. But it seems like districts and technologies are doing a better job to understand really what, what does matter about the, you know, student ownership of learning and students as, as creators, right, and, and not just consumers. Do you feel like we've made improvements in that area? And have you heard from your own community in the ways in which they would like to be able to share in the learning of their children? Yeah, I, I think uh, not only are we making improvements, but we also have a long way to go. I mean, let's just be candid, right? So, so we're on a journey that we talk about as our sort of journey towards this transformational learning. 
Um, and transformational learning is just as you described it, is the idea that students take agency, that they have ownership of not only, you know, certainly we have um, a, a rich conversation about what our students need to learn. And all of our states are driving those conversations. What are the things that we think are most important that our students learn? But the question about how they learn those things, how they access what they want to learn, and then how they demonstrate mastery of those, those learnings, um, to me, that's where the really exciting part of education is today. Because as you mentioned, we, we have technologies now that really enable students to demonstrate their learning in multiple ways, um, to publish that learning, to do so, as you say, creatively, but also collaboratively, to engage with experts in the field, to engage with students across the city, to engage with students across the country and across the world, share ideas, develop um, you know, concepts that they can then present to authentic audiences. I mean, so many amazing opportunities. And then how do you capture all that in ways that um, become meaningful? Well, I, I think there are two pieces of that. One, um, the idea of the digital portfolio. And I think that the, the more work that goes into developing digital portfolios for students that we can, you know, through the course of their K-12 career with us, really capture um, um, how they've grown and how they've demonstrated their learning. Um, there's some real potential for how that can be used to, to present a picture of themselves, not only to our community, but to, to employers and colleges as they're thinking about what they do next. Um, on the other side of that, I think there's a real conversation that has to happen at the state and federal level um, you know, what drives what we report is obviously um, sort of what's legislated and what our colleges are asking for. So if your colleges are asking for SAT scores and standardized test results, um, then unfortunately it's hard to have a conversation with your community to say those aren't the most important measures of what, what, what it means to be a successful learner. I mean, can you imagine if we said to our communities, hey, we're no longer going to worry about SAT scores because we don't think they actually measure the things that you all keep telling <laughs> And, you know, those state tests, those are really important, but we're going we're gonna to sort of ignore the results and we're just going to focus on what we think is important. I mean, I think that would be a very difficult conversation to have with our community. But if we can advocate for and be partners in a community conversation, we say, okay, let's talk about, you know, accountability 2.0, measuring what really matters, right? And so we, we hear all the time, well, we need our students to be, not just critical thinkers and problem solvers, but to really even be able to identify what are the problems that, that, that we're going to be facing and how, how might they go about solving that. Um, we talk about, about here all the time, one of the greatest aspirations of educators ought to be that children never ask why they're learning something, right? They always know. And um, in order to do that, it has to be connected to kind of authentic experiences and authentic challenges. And so how do we create a conversation where actually we're measuring those things. I mean, so if, as a, as a for example, here in Virginia Beach, we're, we're really interested and in, focused on sustainable practices and teaching children sustainable practices. Well, why? Because we sit on the confluence of the Chesapeake Bay and the Atlantic Ocean, and we are one of the, the most threatened cities in America with, with uh, regards to sea level rise. We think those are some significant challenges that our students are gonna have to solve. Um, how do we report that they are thinking about those challenges and solving those challenges um, when what our state wants us to report is a score in an earth science exam? And so what we need to do is figure out um, a more meaningful way to assess a, a, a student's learning, a way that's really driven by their own sense of how to assess that. You know, Hattie talks about kids and self-assessment being one of the most powerful predictors of student achievement. 
And if our, if we asked our kids like, okay, how would you tell us that you've really kind of integrated the concepts of earth science and biology and chemistry and um, engineering to design some solutions to our stormwater challenges in Virginia beach. Um, and the, they would tell us a way they could do that. And if we could convince our state legislature and our colleges to look at those demonstrations of mastery as really kind of the examples of the apex of learning that we're looking for from these kids, um, man, I think we'd really be onto something exciting in our schools and in our states. Given your, your candid approach, even to our discussion, which I greatly appreciate and I have no doubt the audience does as well, I, I want to take a little bit of a turn because I'd be curious as to how you look at uh, something that I think that we don't talk about publicly, which is those schools within our given districts that are potentially, let's say, turnaround candidates are, are struggling schools, right? It's, you know, there's already enough sort of negative press about education as an industry in general that it's natural that we want to share some of the really good things that we're all doing and the amazing people. But sometimes I wonder why we don't share also some of the challenges so that we can lean on each other, sort of do the, you know, the lean in concept and, and learn and find resources and best practices to be able to improve those schools that if we're sort of being honest with ourselves and we're looking at our spreadsheet as a district and we're saying, you know, we've got three schools that are really struggling here, whether or not it's, you know, to the severity of some schools we've heard in the press, um, and districts, uh, just economic challenges, but just how do we talk about that? How do you, how do you look at that? Whether or not you have schools like that at all in Br Virginia Beach, but just as a leader, how do you think about the conversation that, that I'm sort of, that I'm putting out there that I think needs to happen? Yeah, well, listen, um, <clears throat> first of all, we do have those schools in Virginia Beach. Uh, when I arrived in Virginia Beach, we had 16 schools that weren't fully accredited. And um, if you were to overlay the map of poverty in the division, um, with those 16 schools, you'd see that they coincided precisely. Um, and so I, I, I like to talk about it this way, Rod. I think it's not an either or conversation. You know, um, in our division, what we talk about are floors and ceilings. And I think you have to have for every child an aspiration that you have this solid concrete floor for children to stand on, right? So they have fundamental skills that are going to be necessary to be successful in life. And I think at a very uh, basic level, our states have tried to define those fundamental skills through the accreditation process. And so I don't, I don't have a problem necessarily with kind of that baseline uh, proficiency standard that says every kid ought to be reading on grade level. Every kid ought to have numeracy concepts that will allow them to be successful later in life. And so that's really hard work that we have to do. But it's not either or. So in those most challenging school environments, I think the one thing that we do that is most damaging is that we, those are the schools that have the, the, um, the highest need to actively engage kids and really raise the bar in terms of expectations for learning and really help um, those young people see that education is a way out of the cycle of poverty and it's a way to a future that's exciting and interesting. Um, and yet in those schools, we tend to do the most drill and kill work. You know, let's get them ready for these tests and try to get them over the hump. And so in our school division, we talk about ceilings, you know, and sort of the analogy is this. If you, if you go into a cathedral, you're appreciative that there's a solid stone floor that you're standing on, but nobody walks into the cathedral to look at the floor. You know, everybody's looking up at the ceiling and trying to figure out how, how, how high can we go. And so in our schools, what we're looking for in all schools for all children is this idea that, 
um, we can push higher and further and be the things we were talking about earlier for children. We can be the, the schools that provide these transformative learning experiences where kids are really passionate and interested in the learning and they're owning the ways that they demonstrate that, um, that mastery and that passion and that enthusiasm for learning. And so one of the critical challenges that you're pointing out is that we can't in these schools that struggle um, just become test factories, trying to get kids over the hump. We have to embrace the idea that learning is supposed to be fun, that it's supposed to be filled with joy, that it's supposed to be filled with inquiry. And we have to give those schools permission to both create that solid floor, but then explore that ceiling. Um, and, you know, we're doing that work here and that's, and that's how we talk about it. Aaron, what, is, when you talk about the sort of the drill and kill and that approach in those schools, why do you think that that is? Is it, I mean, I'd hate to think that we do that because either we don't trust the very students within those schools to be able to, in essence, hold on to the creative control that we do in higher functioning school. Like, help me understand just what your thought is. I don't think that there's probably a perfect answer to it, but it's worth exploring, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a response to the system that was created, to the accountability system that was created, right? So if the system that's created is one that's punitive, that labels our schools as failing schools, that says the teachers in those buildings are the problems with public education, that says, you know, hey, listen, the solution to you all not being an accredited school is to create schools of choice where we'll just take kids out of these schools. Um, I think that all of those things create a response that says, by any means necessary, get kids to pass the test. And, it, and, it, and it's a response to that, um, to that system. Short-term thinking, is it not? I mean, I, I, not to be critical, but it feels very short-term. It's like a parent that says, all right, we're just going to do this because the toddler is sort of, you know, uh, acting out, but we don't really care that this sets a precedent that now they're going to manipulate down the road. Well, I think it's incredibly short-term thinking. And I think that that's, um, I think that the, the accountability model as it's existed under uh, No Child Left Behind, although metaphorically a great, uh, great idea, was a short-term thinking model. I think it was designed, I mean, I mean, they even put a date on it. By 2014, we were going to have 100% of our kids passing tests. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> not only did it not happen, but it fell far short of the mark of achieving what I think the intent was, was that not, not that children would pass tests, but that all children would be educated in a way that was meaningful and relevant. Um, and so, listen, if we want to design systems that move us past test prep, we've got to create systems that measure the things that we think are more important. I mean, we're getting what we're measuring, right? You know, what gets measured gets done. And if you create a system that just says, hey, 70% of your kids have to be minimally proficient, what gets measured gets done. Um, and so I think we've got to create uh, meaningful assessment systems, have rigorous real dialogue about what does that look like and how, and, and by the way, acknowledge the fundamental realities that you have to be able to do that at scale and efficiently um, and in a, in a way that's cost effective. I mean, states can't pay, you know, half, uh, half a billion dollars for a testing system that, you know, that um, um, would get at what we're talking about. They got to find ways to do it. But I think the technologies are emerging that allow us to do that with artificial intelligence and some of the other things that are happening. Um, I think it's an exciting time to be thinking about it. But yeah, I totally agree. It was, it was short-term thinking. The conversation here in Virginia Beach is that that's not who we're going to be. We're not going to be test factories. We're going to lift all of our schools up to a place where they're fully accredited. And as they're fully accredited, we're going to be exploring what we really expect to see in our classrooms, which is this fully engaged, 
process where kids are understanding how disciplines connect and how they can use the learning in those disciplines to engage with problem solving in our community. What do you want your legacy to be, Aaron, when you're done? I mean, the, the kind of thing that you might share with a family member down the road that just, you know, it may not be suited for a press release or anything, you know, but just something you say, you know, people might not realize it, but this is what I'm so proud of or most proud of about my work in that role. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have, uh, I have six children and, um, I, I talk about this with our faculties and, and with our leaders all the time. There's three things I want for my kids, right? When they go to school and they get on the bus and they go to school, I want them to every day be cared for, you know, so are we taking care of their needs? You know, are they fed? Are they clothed? Are they safe? Um, I want them to learn something every day. I don't think that's too high a bar to set for our children, you know, and I want them to be loved. Uh, I really feel like kids who are loved, who have a relationship with, with the adults in their schools, um, connect to their schools in meaningful ways and want to learn and want to be successful, right? And so I think from a legacy perspective, um, you know, to the question you asked earlier about, we've got communities with incredible challenges. And I think if anything, uh, when I leave this work, I'm not leaving this work until I feel like those three things are happening for every kid in our city, no matter what the color of their skin is, no matter what's in their parents' wallet, no matter where they live, they get our very best every day and they get those three things. And they come out of here understanding that education has a transformative power for them and it can change the course of their life forever. If I could, at the end of the day, say, look, I did my very best to make sure that was happening, not for 67,000 students in Virginia Beach, but for one student 67,000 times a day, um, I feel like I did my job. Well, Virginia, uh be, you know, Virginia Beach is very lucky to have you. I can't fathom. I'm still stuck on the six kids. You are a brave man, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> My wife is a brave woman. You, you have your own school at home, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah basketball you, that, that's right. Your own basketball team. Well, it's just been a great pleasure to get to know you. And, and like I said earlier, you know, echoing the just the candid nature. Uh, I think that that's needed in leadership today. Uh, I think superintendents today are very different, thankfully, than they were when you and I were growing up. Um, going from city managers to really visionaries uh, and practitioners and best, uh, best practice, uh, I think is really important in our districts around the country. So we wish you continued success. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Rod. I appreciate it.